Good morning, church. Uh, yeah, that's super cool. I mean, when you think about it, <clears throat> you know, seeing those, seeing those youngsters, even the boys, not doing nothing, just just standing back, you know, shy. But it's like, it's like Michelle said, the reason for the season. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus and what He did. And him, him coming to earth and him going to the cross and defeating death, sin, hell, the grave. And what better gift can you give to your children? What better gift can you give to your, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your nephews, your nieces, your cousins, uh, just people around you? You know, I think of that scene right there. And it might have been just a, 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 a blimp in time, a bleep in time. But I can guarantee that that's something that, that those kids are going to remember you know, or, or the conversations that we have with our children, right? All, all of our families are imperfect. We all have dysfunctional families, right? Let's not kid ourselves. We all have situations, and, and the holidays bring it out. I, I, I'm witnessing it firsthand, you know, how just things kind of go haywire. But it, it, at the heart of it all is that thread of Christ. It all goes back to Jesus, amen? And, uh, you know... On this, on this Christmas Eve, I mean, we, we as followers of Christ, we as believers in Christ, as Christians, I mean, we, we celebrate Christ every day, or at least we should. As mature, maturing believers in Jesus, we should celebrate Him every day. Uh, but this is a special day. This is a special time of the season, and um, there is only one true God. I love what Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10 and 11 tells us. It says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen... That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. You see, it's hard for our, our, our finite minds to, to really comprehend it and grasp it. But, but we, we are born of a God who uh, lives outside of space and time has no beginning and has no end. The great I am. I mean, you think, you think about us, right? We are created life. All of us in this room, um, everything on this earth, the, everything that's living, the, 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 the plants that live, the, the trees that, that, that live, the, the, the creatures of the earth, the things in the ocean, that's all created life. But, but, but God Almighty, Elohim, he, he is uncreated life. See, I, I don't understand that. It racks my brain when, 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 I, when I try to get into understanding that. And that's why, again, it comes, the revelation of any bit of understanding that you and I get of God comes from Him alone. Because He's the one that gives us the ability to understand what He wants us to understand about Himself. Amen? And, and, and it's, very, it's very sobering and helpful for us as believers because this same God... That's uncreated life. This one true God. He has precious thoughts about you. You see, I don't, I don't know how you came in here this morning. I don't know if you came in and you're elated that it's Christmas Eve and, 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 and all the joyous things that, that Christmas represents to you. Christ and, 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 and the baby and, and, and all that. And obviously he grows up to be a man and he goes to the cross. I don't know if you're, you're juiced off of that. Or I don't know if you come in with baggage and it's heavy. 
And it's hard because, yes, you, you intellectually get all of this about Christ, but, but you're, you're struggling with where you're at with him. You're struggling with, well, how do I worship you? You're struggling with, with, with the things that are going on with your loved ones or, or maybe your work. I don't, I don't know what your circumstance is. But I know that we need to take the word of God seriously at his word. And, 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 and you and I, we can't base how our life is going based on our emotions. Because circumstances, they'll go up and down. Sometimes circumstances will be good. Maybe you're in a Christmas season right now and circumstances couldn't be better. And, and things are so great. Maybe you're in a position right now where circumstances, let's just be real, they suck. They're hard. You're caught in between a rock and a hard place and you're like, Lord, how does this work? Fix it. Because my heart is broken and people around me are broken and I don't get it. I'm told all the time by the Lord, obviously not an audible voice, but he lays it upon my heart. He impresses it upon my discernment that I have to always go back to the word of God. Because there within the word of God are the promises of God. He's not shifting like a shadow. He has no error in him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I share that to say this. Regardless of what you come in with this morning, know that the true and living God has precious thoughts of you. Take it personal, of you. Psalm chapter 139, verses 17 and 18 tell us. I love that little voice. (laughs) How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. You see, the psalmist understood this. That's why he penned it. That's why he was inspired to pen it. He understood that the thoughts of God towards you and me, they're good. God is not this, 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 this vengeful God just looking for someone to make a mistake so he can annihilate them. If that was the case, there would be no grace. There would be no grace. The first time anyone sinned, you're done. And that's it. There would have never been no flood. The first sin, everybody would have been just annihilated. But, but God is, is gracious and he is just. And he's also, he also hates, right? That's an attribute of him. People always say, oh, God's only love. No, no, God, God hates certain things. He hates haughty eyes. What's a haughty eye? Prideful. Looking down on other people around you thinking, oh, oh, I can't believe she would wear that. I can't believe he would say that. No, we don't want to be haughty. We don't want to be prideful. He's jealous. He's a jealous God. You see, God created you and I in his own moral character and image. Why? So we can have unhindered fellowship with him, fitting together like a hand fits in a glove. Perfect. And and, and when we esteem anyone or anything above him in our lives, he's jealous of that. He hates that. He's like, that's my rightful place in your life. So know that no matter where you're at this morning, that God has precious thoughts towards you. Amen? All right, this morning uh, we're taking a break from Ecclesiastes, and uh, we are doing a a, a Christmas message that's, you know, based around this time of year and what this uh, represents to us as believers in Jesus. So um, if you can... Please turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be going through verses 26 down through 33. 
Uh, this message is entitled Celebration of the One True King. Um, and when you get there, if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. If you don't have a Bible or don't have it on your phone, the scripture will be on the big screen behind me. Once again, that's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 down through 33. I'll start uh, in a second here. Verse 26, and it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Let's go ahead and pray. Yahweh, we come before you and and Lord, we ask that you would just humble us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to understand the the, the gravity of, of what this prophecy foretells. Uh, of, of the fact that you would do the unthinkable or you as God would, would allow yourself to come down to your creation's level and that you would give of yourself so greatly that we would have forgiveness of sin and that we would no longer have to be hindered by physical death or, or even anything that uh, was caused because of the fall of mankind. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. May this be a day of celebration. May you impart to us a fresh new revelation of yourself. Would you empty us of ourselves? Fill us fresh with the Holy Spirit that we may be able to rightly divide your word. May we be able to understand it. Give us a fresh anointing that we would be able to discern truth from error. And uh, may you be honored and glorified in everything that is said and done. We thank you and we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, this account, you may be seated. Go ahead. <laughs> sit down. You guys don't have to wait for me to tell you to sit down. Uh, this account right here is, is one of several of the most glorious things that have ever happened in human history. Again, God breaking into this world that he created in the person of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Right? You can't take Christ out of Christmas. <laughs> I don't care if you do X. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're not taking Christ out of Christmas. But he is the anointed one. He is the, the, the Messiah. Him coming to this, this, this world as a, as a baby. Uh, that, that, that's one of the most glorious things that's ever happened in human history. The other, uh, the other events are creation itself, just the creation account. The fact that, again, this, this God that has fully uh, fulfilled relationship within himself. Again, th- th- these, these are terms and these are things that, that are kind of beyond my scope to, to explain. I, I can explain them in elementary terms. That's about it. I'm not going to get super theoretical and use big words, but the Godhead, 
God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they have fellowship, perfect fellowship within themselves in need of nothing, right? To have love, you need what? You need an object to display your love to. So God within himself is able to manifest this love perfectly within himself. He has no need for anybody. But yet in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite sensitivity and all these things, he decided to create humanity. Why? Again, we, we talked about it just a minute ago because he wants to have fellowship with his creation. How many of you like to create things in here? When you create things or if you have a maybe you don't create things, but you have a pet, you have a pet dog or you have a pet cat or whatever you're into. Right. Why do you have a pet? Because you long for fellowship. You, you, you want to have fellowship with that animal. There's a companion. Right. It's it's a it's a it's a silly analogy, but it, it's the best I can do at the moment. This is this is how God thinks of us. Not that we're a dog or, a, you know, not like that, but but to have fellowship, to have companionship. To, to, to have intimate relationship. You think of a husband and a wife. There's things that a husband and a wife have, have within their relationship that nobody else knows. Whether, whether it's a pet name or just corks and different weird things. It's like, what in the world? But yeah, your husband knows that. Or your wife knows that. It's because you have a unique, intimate relationship. Well, that's how God is with us. And he longs to have fellowship with you and I today. But the other, uh, the other event was, again, creation. The fact that he, he spoke these things into existence. He spoke the world. He spoke. He said, let there be light. And the light shone. And, and it hovered over the depths and, and all of the things he just spoke into existence. That, that's amazing. You know, that you can ask, uh, you know, those that are that are into all that, the archaeology and, and, and they try to uh, understand things. You go look at the Grand Canyon and you can look at the, the layers in, in the rocks and it shows that, that that was submerged at one point. So, again, it points to the fact that, yes, uh, the flood really did happen and the, the world, uh, as we know, it was submerged. You just look at the look at the way the map is of the globe of the continents. And it's like it's like a puzzle. It's like at some point, Africa and South America were connected, man. You know, what I mean, it was one big landmass and all of a sudden things broke off. But it's like God created all of this and he allowed all this to happen because he is sovereign over all of his creation. The other account, obviously, is Jesus Christ going to the cross but not only did he grow to the cross, he, 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 he died, but he resurrected from the dead. Again, that, that's something that, 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 that some people, they struggle with. They're like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. You're telling me that God went to the cross, he died, and he rose from the dead. Yes, he rose from the dead. He defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave forever. These are the three single most important accounts that have ever happened in human history. You see, as Christians today, we are awaiting the glorious return of the one true king. That's the one thing. That's what we're waiting on, you know. But as we wait, we need to be about our father's business. We just can't be waiting, hiding in the corner. We can't be waiting, not doing anything. I don't want to be a closet Christian. We need to be those that are willing to... Suffer for Christ. <laughs> to express the truth of who Jesus is. More so by how we live, but also with our words. Both are important. You don't want to be the Christian that, that's always doing all these deeds and never saying nothing. And you definitely don't want to be the Christian that's always talking and you don't have no good works to accompany you with. It's a balance, church. If the reality of God taking on human flesh so that we could 
relate to him and him relate to us and ultimately be saved does not get us pumped up. I, I don't know what actually will. I don't know. It's like uh, it's like Michelle said, you have to come to that place. And, and it's all the Lord. But it's when the Lord imparts this wisdom to you and you understand it and it clicks and you get it and you're like, wow. You know, I, I'm, I'm going through that right now in my own life where I'm like, Lord, teach me how to really worship you, you know, because this right here. Yeah. Preaching. That's not worshiping. <laughs> worshiping is, is, is simply sitting before God and, and, and not talking and allowing God to speak and just being enamored by his presence and enamored by how good he is and how gracious he is and how undeserving we are. But yet at the same time, how good he is towards us. And he's telling us, don't beat yourself up. I love you. And actually humbling yourself enough to receive the love. You see, some of us, we, we, we're so battered and, and war torn from life that it's, it's hard for us to receive it. We don't receive it. We, we withdraw because the Holy Spirit, if you are if you are saved, if you have said, Jesus Christ, come and live inside of me and be my Savior, be my Lord. If you've said that to him and you've meant it, then the Holy Spirit is closer to you than your very own heartbeat. He's closer to you than your very next breath. But the thing is, we withdraw when he starts to reveal himself that close because there's a responsibility involved in that. When we get when we recognize he's so close, it's like he's going to tell you, knock those things off. Get rid of that. And the reality is we just don't want to be responsible. We don't want to be held accountable. So it's easier to say, oh, I just shun it away and ignore it than allow him to be reigning in and through us the way he wants to be. Because then we really got to be accountable to everything that not only we say, but even we think the things that we think. Or the thoughts that come through our minds. Church, we talk about this all the time here. That's why we have to know the word so we can discern truth from error. So we can say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not coming into agreement with that unclean thought. And we rebuke it. We replace it with the word of God. And we go about our day. And that's, it's, it's crazy, but that's, that's how the Christian life is. That's how the spiritual life is. Again, this is the most single, most important event that has ever taken place in human history. The fact that God broke through out of eternity, outside of space and time, and came out of heaven and came down to where we are, to this, to this rock called earth, and, and, and gave his son as a sacrifice for humanity. We have several main points this morning, and the first one is this. God the Father wants everyone, everyone, <laughs> everyone. He wants everyone on the face of this planet to have access to his son, Yeshua HaMashiach, to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That is why he was born in Nazareth. That's why he was born there. Let me explain. At the time of the Messiah's birth, Israel was under Roman oppression. When the people of that day thought of a ruler or a conquering king, Caesar or the Caesars would come to mind because that was their point of reference. That's what they, they saw as a ruling king. And the Romans were heartless. I mean, think about, look, this is how bad crucifixion was. If you were a Roman citizen, you were not allowed to die like that. To be hung on a tree to where you basically bleed out and they would break your bones to make the death come quicker. <laughs> I mean, and it's not even just that. It's the fact you got the foul of the air that would come and pick at your 
eyeballs and your skin and the open wounds after they scourged you and ripped out pieces of your flesh and your back. I mean, yeah, not like Mel Gibson, but we can get graphic because it's not pretty. It's not cute. It wasn't like nowadays you get shot. I'm just saying you get shot. That's quick. That's painless. You know, not not going to the cross, not dying on a crucifix. That was that was torture so bad that their own citizens could not die that way. But this is this is the kind of culture that the Jewish people of that day, this is this is who they saw as what what it is to reign, what it is to rule, what it is to conquer. They would think it was Caesar. Even when the Jews would study the prophecies of the Torah, they assumed that the creator king would appear in in great majesty and splendor and might. That's that's how they saw him to come or that's how they wanted to see the scripture that's how they wanted to see these these prophecies fulfilled you see that's that's the danger of of when we put in our two cents into the word of god we need to let the word of god speak for itself because when we start kind of trying to manipulate it to mean what we want it to mean it comes out not looking how it's supposed to they didn't expect him to come as a lowly humble servant but you see this was all by design Once again, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God, creator of all things, knew before time in order for all human beings to have access to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, he would need to come to earth as a humble servant to a humble location. Father understood that if Jesus the Messiah was born in the palace... He would be unreachable. He'd be unreachable. The walls would would, would keep the common folks away. They would not have access because they're not getting through. The soldiers of the palace would have veiled him from the public. But instead, the Lord purposed to have the Savior of the world born in the no-name town of Nazareth. For the sole reason of revealing himself to the lowly common people who were despised by the powerful elite of Rome. And also they were despised by the Jewish religious leaders of the day. You see, there was wealthy, powerful, politically religious, rich, and then there was poor. (laughs) And that was it. Those were the categories that you fell into. It was all to fulfill the prophecies that expressed the coming Messiah would be of humble origin and would be despised and rejected. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1 through 3 tells us, Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's, 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 that's mind boggling to me. That that's how the text expresses Christ. That, that, that he, he was despised and rejected. That he was a man of, of many sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. Could, can you imagine that? 
He had nowhere to lay his head. That's what the scripture says. Rejected. Today, don't reject the Savior of your soul. Amen? All right. The second main point is this. All those who respond to the call of salvation, if that's you, say amen. (laughs) All those who respond to the call of salvation that Jesus Christ offers finds favor with God. (laughs) If you've responded to the call of salvation, do you understand how, 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 how important this is? Do you understand how immense this is? Do you understand that it's outside of yourself that you're even able to do it? <laughs> he draws you to himself. I didn't choose Christ. He chose me. Trust me, I did not choose Jesus. <laughs> and I'm sure I can speak for you when you say you didn't choose him. Not in and of yourself. He, he wooed you to himself. And for some of you, it took a whole lot of wooing (laughs) and a whole lot of kicking against the goads. It's like, how long, how long, how long, how long am I going to be in this predicament of, of, you know, cracking my head up against a brick wall before I realize this is not working. This is this lifestyle is not what I need to do. I need to, (laughs) you know, if you're his, you're his. But but the, the scripture says, if you've received the gift of salvation that, that, that God the Father offers through his son, Jesus Christ, then, then you personally find favor with God. We see in the text that Mary or Miriam in Hebrew found favor in the eyes of God. Luke chapter 1 verse 38 tells us that Mary called herself a servant of the Lord. Don't overlook this point, church. This is important to understand because this was not something that God pushed upon her. Remember, God is not this tyrannical God who forces. Oh, you have to. You, do you understand when, like, so, man, man, this is a horrible analogy, but I'm going to use it anyways. A pimp and a prostitute, okay? Now, I'm going to just say it. That is the, the, the weakest kind of power you could ever have. Forcing somebody, intimidating somebody. That's not power. That's what Satan does. He tries to intimidate. Real power is is, is humility, is meekness, is power under control. That's God. God's like, I created you with free will. I'm not going to force you to serve me. I'm going to show you, hey, this is in your best interest. Come to me. Live the way I've intended you to live. It's going to work out for your life. But he's not going to force his hand upon you or me or anyone else. What does he say? I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if you open up the door of your heart and let him in, he comes in, he dines with you, and you have fellowship, and he calls you friend. But he's not like the big bad wolf. He's not going to huff and puff and blow down the door. Of the, the, you know, he's not going to blow down the door to, to your heart. He comes and he, he's meek about it. That's real power. But, but, but it says that Mary called herself a servant of the Lord. It was already in her heart that her desire was to submit her life to God. She was already living like this before the angel came, before Gabriel came. You see, so, so this was a lifestyle for her. It wasn't like all of a sudden Gabriel came and all of a sudden she's bowing down. It's like, no, again, God is the one that woos you to himself. So she was already in the process. It was already the lifestyle of like, this is my God. And I'm honoring my Lord with how I live. I'm honoring my Lord with how I'm devoting my life to him. 
Because of her prior submission to the Lord, she had found favor in his eyes. Question today, church. What or who do you identify with today? I mean, what is the purpose of your life? If you, if you could explain it in one sentence, what would it be? Why do you live? Do you live for a paycheck? Do you live for your family? Do you live for the Niners? Do you live for gifts? Do, I don't know what, you know. What do you live for? Hopefully it's I live for Jesus Christ. You see, if we get number uno correct, everything else falls into place the way it needs to. Even if it's all rattled and tattled along the way, it'll all work out. But we got to get first things first, correct. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added on. You can never outuse that verse <laughs> because the word of God is living and active and it's always applicable every day of our lives. You see, Mary identified with being a servant of the most high God. Today, you and I can receive this same favor from God in our lives, but we must be willing to identify with him. Who do you identify with today? And, and you know, if you feel led, you can wear a sweatshirt that says Christ first, but you don't got to wear clothes. <laughs> Some people are just not into that, and that's okay. Let your lifestyle show who you identify with. Let the way of your speech show who you identify with. Again, being a closet Christian doesn't count. Psalm chapter 90 verse 17 tells us, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. See, again, it's, it's, it's all about God. It's not I establish the work of my hands. It's he establishes the work of my hands. But how does that happen? By yielding to him by allowing him to have full reign and control of our lives it's unfortunate that so many people are misguided and and they don't realize that they're allowing the these unclean spirits of this age to influence them and they're yielding to the promptings of things that are not right and are not righteous and are not holy we need to be as the bible says drunk with the holy spirit and not drunk with wine or not drunk with uncleanliness. We need to be overflowing. We need to be intoxicated with His presence. That way we allow Him to do a work in and through us that is beneficial not only for our own personal lives, but for the lives of others. Amen? The third main point is this. The kingdom of God will reign forever. This is where many skeptics and critics fail to realize. This is where they stumble. This is where they don't understand and unfortunately, some even within the church don't recognize this. Though Jesus Christ came to earth humbly as a baby born in a manger, he will return and reign for all eternity, eternity Excuse me, as the conquering king. From eternity past, he's always been the great I am. But it's us, humanity, creation, who needs to recognize who he truly is. He knows who he is. He doesn't have an identity crisis. We're the ones that have an identity crisis. We're the ones that need to recognize who he is. And actually, when we understand who he is, that unlocks who we are in him. You see, but, but we have to recognize him first. And, and what he is and what he's done 
The rest of all creation already know who their creator is. We know this because the word of God tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. All the creation knows. The birds, they know who their creator is. The alligators, they know who their creator is. The cockroaches, they know who their creator is. The trees, they know. <laughs> it's human beings that, 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 that have to fight idolatry, that have to fight boosting themselves up as God or esteeming other things or other people as God. We're the ones that need to get it right. It is because Satan has blinded the hearts of men through the deception of sin that many fail to understand, recognize, and acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. But one day, all of creation, whether they choose to or not, will have to humble themselves and submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Man, that's wild. I think we talked about this briefly last week, but, you know, in hell, they're going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. It ain't a party down there. You don't just get to do what you want to do. It's going to be a lot of people, a lot of souls, unfortunately, that are going to be cursing the name of God, gnashing their teeth in, in, in hatred of the fact that they missed out. And they're going to curse them. You don't want to be there. You want to be in heaven <laughs> where you're going to be praising and there be, it's going to be a joyous occasion forever and ever because you have unhindered, complete fellowship with the one true living God. You'll have peace like you've never had before on this planet. All right, let's go ahead and look at these verses 26 and 27. So it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so let's look at this piece by piece because it's all very important. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Remember uh, that, that, that Mary had, had, had a cousin, Elizabeth, and, and before this, Gabriel appeared to Zacharias, the priest in the temple. This is where he announced the supernatural pregnancy of his wife, Elizabeth, who would bring John the baptizer, John the immerser, John the Baptist into the world. That's Jesus's cousin. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, he came to a village in Galilee. So we see, again, it says a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So this is a little fun fact. Daniel, you may know this. You'll probably enjoy it. You like to nerd out on stuff like this. But chronologically, this is the first mention of Nazareth in the Old or New Testaments. And again, there was nothing in and of itself unique or prestigious about this place. Nazareth was a hole in the wall in the general region of Galilee. It was about 15 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. And it is about six miles from the closest major road. Nazareth had no good water supply and only had one fairly weak well in the center of the village. So it wasn't like, it wasn't, you're not going to go there on vacation. <laughs> like there were no five-store resorts. You're not going to the coastline, you know. It's not like Baja, California. You're not going to Monterey. It was nothing like that at all. 
But why would Father God allow his only begotten son to be born to a peasant girl in a poor town in a dirty stable fit only for farm animals? The answer is this. To teach all of humanity the importance of humility. Remember, pride finds its origins in Satan, not God. Pride. That comes from Satan. That does not come from God. It was in heaven that Lucifer decided within himself not to be content with how he was created and his purpose. It's been said that, you know, he he was like a walking orchestra, you know, pipes built into his diaphragm. And he just was walking around playing all these instruments, right? Playing this beautiful heavenly music. He was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies before God. And bless him with, with the playing. And he, he was crowned with all of these precious jewels and gemstones. And, you know, something to be desired, I guess, in, in such a way. But he wasn't content with how he was created. He decided against God's order of creation, desiring to be greater than the Most High. That is the origins of pride. And ever since then, Humanity has been born into this world with a prideful disposition against God. We're we're born at enmity with God. The cutest newborn baby is in enmity with God. Lest that child die before the age of accountability, obviously they're going to go to heaven. But if that child lives to be eight years old and over, now... You know, you see the sin nature welling up within them and they have to make a decision as a young person or as they grow older, like who are they going to serve? That is the disposition of all of humanity. You can thank Adam and Eve for that one. (laughs) Sin has caused us to wander away from Father God. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 tells us, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. No one else could die for us. No one else could resurrect for us. So praise God that, that he, he laid my iniquity on Christ. If I died in my sins, I already know where I was going. Praise God that he allowed me to live and be reconciled to him. So now I can receive forgiveness for my sins. And I don't have that guilt or that shame hanging over my head. It is because of this natural bend towards pride that Father God wants to break within the human heart. He wants to break that. He doesn't want us to live that way. He knows that 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 is detrimental. He knows that that is destructive for us. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically. It's never a good thing when we're prideful. This is why Jesus Christ came to earth as a humble servant, a baby, to teach humanity the value of true humility before God. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 tells us, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So so you see, humility plays such a big role in God's economy. 
the prideful, he, he, he won't esteem. But, 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 but the humble, he'll, he'll elevate. He'll elevate you. He'll elevate you to your rightful place. And, and we do it not, not to gain pats on the back. Not so people can see what we do. We do it because, again, it, it sounds corny, but what would Christ do? We look to the scriptures. What would Jesus do? You, you, think, of, you think of the man on the road. The, you know, the whole story of the Good Samaritan the, or the account. There's a man on the road. Didn't say if this man was good or not. Didn't say if this man was saved. I love that. There's no detail of that. This man could have been, you know, a swindler. He could have been a robber. We don't know. It was just a man who was beat down and bloodied up. And what happened? The priest and the Levi. <laughs> These dudes know full and well. Man, I should have compassion on my neighbor. I should love my neighbor as myself. What do they use the excuse? Oh, I can't. I can't get dirty. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna go against the, you know the, the the ritual laws. I can't get dirty. And who was it? It was the half breed Samaritan, the one that was despised, the one that was looked at as a dog because he was half Jew, half Samaritan. And he had the heart to say, you know what? I'm going to put this dude on my animal. I'm going to take him to the inn. I'm going to get him bandaged up. I'm going to put oil on his wounds. And I'm going to pay for him to stay. And if I owe anything, I'll come back and I'll pay it off. That was obviously a, a, a type of Christ we see in the text. But, but again, that's how we should live, church. That's the heart. It's a, it's a humility. It's, it's the opposite of having haughty eyes. It's, it's the opposite of thinking below, someone is beneath me. It's just like the, the, the tax collector and, and, and the Pharisee. They come in and the Pharisee's like, I'm glad I'm not like this guy, this bum over here. Man, he's robbing everybody. Man, I tithe. I give my offering. Oh, I'm, I'm good, God. I'm good. Praise you. But the one who was justified was the person, the man who couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he just wept. I believe that's worship, right? It's not even the words that we got to say. It's just, it's just knowing that God is so good and so, so raw and so he's so loving and so caring and how we don't deserve anything. But he still yet extends a hand to us. That's the worship. And, and, and he's the one who went away justified because he humbled himself. Before God's mighty hand. And that tax collector was esteemed. In God's economy he was esteemed. And the tax collector was brought low. Because the tax collector elevated himself. The Pharisee, excuse me. Again, this is why Father God did this. This is why he allowed his son to come in this way. To make his son reachable. To make his son relatable. To make him, his son approachable. Remember, this is, this is, this is, he, he reflects the perfect image of God. He's God in the flesh, Jesus is. So he came lowly as a humble servant so humanity could see that he's reachable, to see that he's relatable, to see that he's approachable. Today, know that you can approach God. Don't, don't, don't feel like, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't come to you. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God is wanting you to come to him today. This is why he went to the cross and died such a horrible death so he could forgive what you think is the most rotten sin. The things that nobody knows about you, the things that you haven't let go, the things that bring shame when it comes in your mind. He wants to take that. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're carrying a burden today that you can't carry, you have to lay it at the foot of the cross. 
That's the only place where you're going to ever find true peace. That's the only way you're going to find true redemption. And you can let it go. And you can allow his love to shower you and cover you. You don't have to leave here with the baggage that you came in with. It can supernaturally vanish like that if you allow him to do the work that only he can do in and through your life. Amen. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He didn't hang out with the popular or famous people, but the despised and rejected. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19 tells us the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. You see, they were like, I don't mean to laugh because I don't want to make light of it. But, but, you know, they have, you know, that's the thing, right? They already had their, their Levitical laws, but they added on to all these things. And so they said, hey, man, why, why do your disciples, why are you guys not, why are you guys not fast? I fast three times a week. <laughs> He's like, you know, hey, well, you, have, well, you basically have the son of, the son of God here. You know, you're going to feast. Why not? There's going to come a time where you're going to need to. We need to understand that. It's not about all the ritual holdings of things. It's really not. The application is this. Father God understood that only his son, who was and will be forever sinless, was the only one to take away the sins of the world. Because of this, he had to take on human form. No one else. So you, you go back to the, you go back to, to the Torah and, and, and the Day of Atonement. You had to... For, for the remission of sin, there had to be shedding of blood because within the blood, there is life. My blood's super dirty. <laughs> My blood ain't saving nobody. <laughs> they had to get these animals. They had to kill them. It's crazy, man. When you read about it, it's like, man, they, they had to slit their throat. The person who brought the animal, they got to slit the throat. They got to put their hand on it. And basically, it's like a symbol of them transferring all their sins to this animal. And, and, and that worked for a year only. And they had to do it. You're in. You're out. I mean, it's been said by commentators that the priest's robe, I mean, it'd be just full of blood, like to the almost to the kneecaps. I mean, you think of all the people that had to come with animals or if they didn't have that, they had to bring pigeons. <laughs> you know, you had to bring something. You had to bring a turtle dove. You had to bring something. But but without the, the, the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. And so the sinless, spotless lamb to take away the sins of the earth, past, present and future. He allowed his blood to be shed so that you and I could have remission of sin and it'd be forgiven and we wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. You don't have to deal with, I mean, I couldn't imagine what we're doing right now. Got to go kill this animal. <laughs> Got to go get this rabbit. Got to go get this, you know, whatever it is and, and kill it so that I could have my sins forgiven. No, not no more. Because our Redeemer took that weight upon his shoulder. So that he also could relate to us in our weakness. This is why he took on human flesh. To be tempted in every way known to humanity, yet never sin. He's gone through everything you and I have gone through. Scripture don't talk about it, but, you know, think about it. He's a carpenter. I'm sure he didn't have no big old belly, and that's not a shot to anybody else. He had a big belly, but I'm sure he was fit. You know? I mean, he was strong. He's a strong man. He's a carpenter. He worked hard. I'm sure he, you know what I mean? He, 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 he had a good frame on him. So, I mean, he's been tempted. But he didn't sin in, in, in a sexual manner. He didn't sin in lying. He didn't sin in drinking. He didn't sin in any of those things. He's known every temptation that's come before every single one of us, yet he did not sin, qualifying him alone to be our Redeemer. 
You see, he came as a humble, lowly servant to make himself relatable to the common people. By doing this, not only would many more be drawn to him, but people would genuinely be drawn to him because he didn't have stature. He didn't have status of the Romans or the religious elite. Think about it. If Christ had came in his first advent in all of his splendor and glory, many people would come to him simply for all the pomp because it was, it was the thing to do. Oh, man, it's the thing. He's here. He's here. Just think about it. Think about how, how, how we are. Think about how fickle human beings are. People that, that, that love to flock to where the light and the glamour is. Look at Hollywood. And I'm not knocking people that are Hollywood actors. Hey, if that's your gig, that's your gig. You better just stay straight <laughs> and watch your, make sure you ain't taking on too many crazy roles because you become those personas that you're trying to, you know, perform. But, but think about it. I mean, groupies and the paparazzi. It's like, oh, it's the red carpet. Everybody's flashing cameras. Oh, yeah, it's a big deal. Some people only want to be around other people because they seem to be a big deal. Without all the flashing lights and all the money and all the trinkets and all the bling and all the fancy cars, many people would not want anything to do with those same individuals. This is exactly how it is with Jesus. The people that came to him when he was here on earth, they genuinely came to him because they genuinely knew. He genuinely drew them and he genuinely received them to himself. He would forever be identified with this place being reportedly or repeatedly, excuse me, called Jesus of Nazareth. His followers were also called the Nazareans. Next, we see this statement to a virgin betrothed. So Mary was betrothed to Joseph There were three stages to a Jewish wedding in that day. The engagement, it was a formal agreement made by the fathers saying, okay, yes, this is okay. We're going to do this. We're going to combine and this is what it is. There was the actual betrothal, betrothal, excuse me, the ceremony where mutual promises were made. And then marriage, approximately about a year later, where the bridegroom came for his bride at an unexpected time. Doesn't that sound familiar? (laughs) Right. The bridegroom coming for his bride at an unexpected time when a couple was betrothed, they were under the obligation of faithfulness and a divorce was not and a divorce was required to break the betrothal. This wasn't any kind of casual promise. It's like, no, we're going in. We're doing this. We're getting married. This is what it is. There were no prenuptial agreements back then. (laughs) You know, prenups are so crazy. It's like you're already going in. Thinking in the back of my head, if this don't work out, it ain't no, it ain't no 50, 50. It's like, it's like 70, 30. (laughs) You're not taking what I got. All my assets I'm keeping with me. It's like, why get married, man? But do you see how we convolute things without Christ? We come up with these dumb terms, these dumb things. It's like, it's silly. It's foolishness. But that wasn't the case with Mary and Joseph. Next, we see the statement. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary is clearly said to be a virgin. (laughs) There is no mincing words about the idea here. Mary had no sexual relations with any man before this. I talked about it earlier at the beginning of this message. The name Mary in Greek is from the Hebrew name Miriam, one of Moses' sisters. And it means exalted one. And this is a fitting description of the soon-to-be mother of the Messiah. Exalted one. 
All right, let's look at 28 and 29. And it says, and he came to her and said, speaking of, of Gabriel coming to Mary, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what, what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, again, Gabriel had said three things to Mary. Each of these things were certainly true of Mary, who had a unique privilege among any person to ever live. She was highly favored. And that the Lord was with her and that she was blessed. However, this is the coolest thing, church. Don't miss this. All these things are true of all the believers in Jesus. The application is this. We are highly favored just as Mary was. If you're a believer in Christ today, you are highly favored. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's you and me. You're blessed. The Lord is with us. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you know that he's always with you? Even if you don't sense his presence. Remember, we serve Christ out of obedience, not out of emotion. That's why you got to go back to the scripture. The scripture tells you he promises to always be with you and me until the end of the age. He's not going to lie. That means he's with you. He's with me in your darkest times, in the times where everyone else has turned their back on you and you feel like you don't even have a friend. (laughs) Christ is friend to the friendless. He's a friend to the sinner. Amen. And we are blessed. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, this is the interesting thing, church. Many times people are are, are seeking and trying to find out, Oh, I need more of this. Oh, I need more of that in Christ. But the reality is you've already been given all that you need in Jesus It's up to you and me to uncover and discover what these gifts are that he's already given us. That's where spending time with God, spending time and worshiping him and just praising him and and learning more about him and learning, you know, more about what what the names of God mean and all these things. It's, It's so important because when we start spending more time with God intentionally, he starts to reveal all these things that he's already given to us, church. And it says it right there in Ephesians chapter one, verse three. You see, the Roman Catholic prayer that that begins, Hail Mary, full of grace, it is accurate in the sense that Mary was full of grace, but so is every believer. You see, but Mary's grace was a received grace, not grace to give to others. I'm not smashing on the Catholic Church. I'm just pointing that out. That's the reality. That's the truth. Take it for what it is. Next uh, phrase we see here. But when she saw him, speaking of Gabriel, she was troubled at his saying. The fact that Mary was troubled with uh, the sayings of of Gabriel shows her humility. Mary was so surprised to hear such extravagant words said about herself. The question for us today is, what about you? What about you today, church? Are you surprised to hear that God loves you so much that he has continual good thoughts about you? Like we talked about at the beginning of this message, that he loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son from heaven to pay the price for your sins. Many people think it's too good to be true. 
or they think that they've messed up so bad that their life is, is so unredeemable that, 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 that they're too far gone. But let me tell you, the reality is this, church. Today, your sin and my sin qualifies us to be saved. Amen? That is the truth. All right. Last few verses, 30 through 33. And it says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All right, so we see this statement. You have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, capital S. You always know when you see that capital S in son, it's talking about Jesus. It ain't no lowercase. The focus was not on Mary, but on the son, the son that was going to be named Jesus, um, Yeshua in the, in, the he, in the Hebrew language. At that time, it was a common name. It, you know, it was a common name. It was not uh, unique in that sense, but he was the Messiah, this Jesus, this Yeshua was the Messiah of the world. This son was unmistakably identified as predicted in the Old, in the Old Testament as the Messiah to come. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 tells us, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We, we all know uh, that this means God is with us or God with us. This statement, he will be great. No one, no one in human history has influenced the world more than Jesus Christ. There is a reason why the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. There's a reason for that. There really is. And, uh, you know, from my personal view, not even that it should be sold for profit, but there's a reason why the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Even with men trying to alter the meaning of it, be careful what kind of Bible you read. (laughs) Make sure you got something that's solid. That's not, you know, I don't want to get into that. That's that's besides the point. But, you know, just get you a solid translation. The word of God remains true no matter what. It is the only book that speaks to redemption and the saving of human souls. You look at any other world religion, no other world religion tells you how to get saved. (laughs) They don't. They don't. They really don't. They, they, they tell you that you might find it. They, they say you, you, you got to do all this, this and that. But, but Christianity, God comes down to our level and he brings us up. We don't have to work to him. He comes to us. That's the Christian faith. One God, one way, one hope, all wrapped up in the person and the, of Jesus Christ. Is it not proven that he is great? Jesus is greater than any conquerors, any deliverers, or any great liberators of any time in human history. The application is this. Jesus is great in his perfect nature. Jesus is great in the grandeur of his offices, all that he holds. Jesus is great in the splendor of all his achievements He's conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, something that no one could ever do, no one will ever be able to do but God himself. Jesus is great in the numbers of those he rescues. Think of, think of all of the souls that have been saved. Only he could do that. And that is the choice that every person has to make. We have to either say yes to Christ or no to him. 
But for those he has saved, he has saved many. And remember, he'll leave the 99 for the one. That's how much of a good God that he is. His desire is that none perish, but that all come to repentance. Jesus is great in the estimation of his people. Those who love him, praise him. Those who love him, give him adoration all the days of their lives. Those who love him, grow more and more of their understanding of how great he is. And for all the little things, it's just one thing after another. You'd be finding yourself just praising God, looking at the sky. Man, praise you, Lord. It's so good. You got a heartbeat. Your heart didn't palpitate. You're like, praise you, Lord. Do you know that health, good health comes from the Lord? I don't care what diet you're on. Now, I'm not saying go be a glutton. But what I'm saying is, in and of itself, yes, we are supposed to take care of our bodies and this and that. And and be sure we're not eating crazy stuff and doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing. But that's not the end all. God is the giver of good health. So all these little things, you know, it's interesting. The Jewish people, they actually say a praise to God after they use the restroom. You know why? Because they understand that all the inner workings of their insides and their stomach and all that stuff, man, those are miracles every time you go to the bathroom. The fact that all your insides are holding together when you go do a number two. (laughs) And ain't nothing falling out that ain't supposed to fall out. I mean, that's how raw it really gets. I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm just telling you how real the adoration and praise for God is. He is the one to reserve all praise because how he's fearfully and wonderfully created you and me. We should never take it for granted the breath that we have in our lungs. We should never take it for granted the fact that we have these senses to, to see, to taste, to touch, to hear those are, all, those are all things that are gifts from God. They're to be enjoyed. And he should be glorified by his people. Again, he will be called the son of the highest. Jesus would be the son of Mary, but not only her son, but more importantly, he would also be known as the son of God, capital S. Next we see the statement, the throne of his father, David. He will be the Messiah prophesied to David who has the rightful authority to rule over Israel and of his kingdom there will be no end. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 16 tells us, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come who shall come from your body and I will establish him his kingdom, excuse me. He shall build a house for my people and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I'll end with with uh, this statement and Michelle Isaiah can make their way up. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Mary knew exactly what Gabriel was talking about because, again, she was a woman of the word of God. Christ came as a suffering servant, but he will return as a conquering king. This leads us to the last thing that Jesus says in the scriptures. If you've read the book of Revelation, you know what this is about. It says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my uh, recompense with me. To repay each one for what he has done. You see, Jesus is going to return when mankind is not looking for him. He said that he's, his coming is going to be like a thief when a thief enters someone's house at night. 
When a thief comes in, no one's expecting the thief to come. He comes at night. If someone is expecting the thief, they'd be sitting with a shotgun (laughs) by the door waiting for that robber to come in. But this is how Christ is going to come. He's going to come like a thief in the night. Nobody's going to be expecting him. And all of a sudden, he's going to appear. He's going to come at a time when no one's looking for him. He could come any day now, even right now. This is why we have to pay much attention to what's going on in Israel. Because Israel is the compass of what's going on. They're his covenant chosen people. And we are grafted into that same vine by the grace of God. Jesus said, behold, I am coming quickly. Meaning, get ready. We need to live in such a way that we are ready for him whenever he comes, even if it's today. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, just the reality of, of your love for us. This is this is this is a time for celebration. No matter what we're going through in life, if we know you, we've already got the most important thing we're ever going to need. And that's to have an irrevocable, unhindered relationship with Father God through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the birth of your Son. We thank you that He lived the, the years that He lived and He did the miracles that He did. And most importantly, He died upon that cross and that He resurrected from the dead, uh, fully securing our salvation forever and ever. And so now we, we never have to, to lose hope. We just can look to you knowing that you are the author and finisher of our faith and you will redeem every day and you will give back what the locusts have eaten. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. It is in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.